This is the Seven Hills Church Podcast, where you'll hear incredible teaching from our very own Pastor Marcus Meekham. If you enjoy what you hear, you can subscribe anywhere you get your podcast to get brand new episodes waiting for you every week. You can also download our free smartphone app to see even more exclusive content and to get connected with the life of Seven Hills. Let's get right to the message, and thanks again for being with us. Acts chapter 9, verse 9. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. So this was a total fast. This was no food and no H2O. This was this was a total fast. How many of you are thankful for the Daniel fast right now? (laughs) Just a little something, just even thankful for a little water. So for three days without sight, this is the conversion experience of um, Paul, the apostle who wrote most of the New Testament says, for three days he neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And so the Lord said to him, arise, go to the street called Straight. Inquire of the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. Behold, he is praying. I want to talk to you from that phrase right there. Behold, they pray. Behold, they pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction that you give us to pull together prayer and fasting. Matthew chapter 6, it doesn't teach us if we pray or if we fast. It says when we pray and when we fast. Those private disciplines have public reward. I thank you and I praise you, Father, as you align us more and more with what your heart is for 2020. We're going to see public reward. We're going to see your hand in every area of our life. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. This particular story that we just read about is Paul the Apostle's very first prayer. And you're experiencing or seeing the way that God deals with enemies, how he deals with people that attacks the things of God, attacks the kingdom of God. Usually he uses one of two methods. One is he confuses his enemies. He confounds his enemies. He blinds his enemies. He turns them against one another. You see it in scripture where he drives them mad, hardens their heart, allows them to go in a self-destructive path. He confuses his enemies. But the second method is he converts his enemy. He takes a foe and he makes him a friend. He takes an enemy of the gospel and he turns them into a soldier for it. This is where God reaches into the lion and he pulls honey out of it. And so Acts chapter 9 is God's second method at work where God takes Saul who is an enemy of the church His clothes are splattered with the blood of Stephen as he held the coats and cheered on Stephen's murderers. This is a very, very real threat to the people of God. Saul would have grown up in or spent many of his days in Jerusalem going to the school of Gamaliel where he would have been taught that this sect of the followers from this man from Nazareth are a dangerous group of people. He experienced that very first taste of blood as Stephen was being killed and something turned on the inside of Saul. Like a vampire, that first taste drove him mad where he couldn't get enough. It wasn't just enough to be there for that one. He, there was no limit to the amount of lives that Saul desired to take. People that would 
lose their lives because of his thirst for blood. He is on this road to Damascus as we read this story. And he is on his way to feed on the gore of more men and women and even children. Anybody that says they're a follower of this Jesus is a target for Paul the Apostle. And as he's on this road, as he's determined furiously to get to kill more Christians, God, with his second method, interrupts a killing spree. By knocking Paul off of his horse, God hits him so hard that he loses his eyesight and there a conversation begins between Jesus and Saul. For three days we find that Saul is in bed. For three days he can't eat and he can't drink. For three days he's there bedridden, working through the dilemma that's gone on one moment he's got a hatred for the gospel a hatred for these Christians and now his heart is changed and he has a love for them the people that he at one point wanted to destroy now he desires to protect he has a love all of a sudden for God's people and at the end of three days of working through this internal change that's happened the Bible says Paul begins to pray and the moment Paul begins to pray Jesus goes to Ananias and says I want you to go to the street called straight to the house of Judas there you will find a man by the name of Saul from Tarsus and behold he is praying I want us to look at this story and particularly that phrase the word behold means to fix your eyes on and never take them off of I want us to look at Paul's very first prayer and my goal is that God would stir up prayer in your personal life as we look at some of these things that this first prayer teaches us first of all it teaches us that prayer is an announcement it's an announcement Jesus announces behold Paul is praying. It's a fact that not only did heaven notice Paul's prayer, but heaven announces, behold, Paul is praying. So our prayers are not only noticed in heaven, our prayers are announced on earth. Not only did Paul's prayer reach heaven, but it brought heaven to earth. It not only moved heaven, but it caused heaven to begin to move things around in the earth. And so our prayers are, an, are noticed in heaven, but they are announced within the earth. And notice the great detail that God pays attention to. He says, I want you to go to the street called Straight to the house of Judas. There a man by the name of Saul who was born in Tarsus is, and there he is praying. Notice that heaven notices the details, all the details, exactly the street that Paul is praying on, exact, the exact house, the exact location, the, the man where he was born, which implies that God knew every single moment of his life from the second that he was born. And so heaven noticed the place of Paul's prayer and God notices 
our prayers. And it doesn't matter when you pray. And it doesn't matter where you pray. You can pray in the car, in the woods, in the bar, in the crack house, in the barn, in the bed, at night, in the morning, in the hospital, in the jail cell, at the grave site. You can pray in a divorce court, short prayers, long prayers. Heaven is not specific in the location of your prayers. Heaven notices and announces wherever you pray, behold, they pray. Not only does the heaven not care where you pray, it doesn't care who prays. Notice that when Ananias hears that Saul of Tarsus is praying, he is astonished. He can't believe it. He has to clarify, you mean the killer? This cold-blooded murderer is praying and you think that God can't answer your prayers because you've got an addiction or an anger problem or a forgiveness problem or you don't attend church like you probably should problem. God is not looking for people that are all together. Behold, Paul, this, this guy that should be the least likely to pray is praying and heaven noticed. God does not need you to be a perfect diamond. He'll take a jagged piece of coal. He can take anyone, the worst of us, and turn that person into the best of us. You just have to make the decision. Say, it doesn't matter where I am right now and it doesn't even matter what my life looks like right now. I'm a candidate for prayer. I think about if you would have told me that I would do anything even closely resembling what it is that I do when I was a teenager, I would have said, you're crazy. You've lost your mind. There's no way. This, this is, to me, an unimaginable place that God has brought me to in my life. It has exceeded my wildest expectations and if you really looked around this room and you could hear the backstory of people, you would find that that is most people's story in this room, that they are miracles. All around you, there are miracles. All around you, there are unexplainables. All around you, there are people, if their history had the say, they should have never become who they are right now. But somehow they found the desire to pray. Like Paul on an, on an unlikely road, in a hopeless place, in a blind place, but somehow they found the desire to pray. And heaven made the announcement over their life the same way it had Paul's life. And that was, it didn't matter where they were or who they were, heaven announced, behold, they pray. Number two, prayer is an argument. I love the fact that here, we find that when God tells Ananias, I want you to go to the street called Straight, to the house of Judas, and I want you to talk to Saul of Tarsus, Ananias' response is, uh, no, no, not something I'm interested in. I, I would rather go to the lion's den than I would go meet with that killer. So there's an argument. So prayer is not always... God, I love you. God, you're so wonderful. Thank you for your warmth and your kindness and your goodness. God, thank you that you've always made the 
crooked path straight and thank you that all of my enemies are always immediately dismissed, that every giant has fallen, that every mountain has moved that I prayed for, that, that my whole life has been surrounded with peace and with joy and oh, with your wonder. And God, thank you so much that, that all of my friends, you know, they, they, they love me and thank you that, that you know, that, no, that's not how prayer works. Prayer is an argument sometimes. I don't understand. I don't like this. I don't feel you. I don't understand what you want from me. I, I don't want to do that. That's the last thing on earth I would want to do. That's the last place I would want to go. That's the last thing I would want to do with my life. God, I, prayer in its best form is an argument. It has some truth to it. It has some sincerity to it. It has a sense of, I don't know exactly what to do. And sometimes what it is that God wants to, me to do and what I want to do are two different things. Or even sometimes I don't even have a clue what it is that I'm supposed to do. And I don't even have a clue what prayer is supposed to look like. But nevertheless, prayer in its best form is sometimes a little bit of an argument. Ananias didn't want to end up like Stephen or the others. He didn't want to end up in the place that he was. But the Bible says that he went and did what God told him to do because behold, Paul prayed. So if you ever want to know, how do I know what God wants me to do? Let me ask you a question. Is, there, is it marked with sincerity of prayer? Should I be hanging out with these friends? Is there sincerity of prayer? Behold, they pray. Should I marry this person? Should, should I attend this church? Should I, should I listen to that counsel? Can God heal my marriage? Is there sincerity of prayer anywhere in the situation? Because if there is, like Ananias, it doesn't matter the danger. It doesn't matter the risk. It doesn't matter the threat. It won't really matter what the sacrifice is because sincerity of prayer surrounds that thing. You'll have the stamp of God's approval and you'll have the courage that you need to end the argument and say, wherever you lead, I I'll follow. It really doesn't matter what the end is. I know that I have God's stamp of approval. And so I'm going to go. How did Ananias go from a place where he didn't want to go to saying, yes, I'll go. It was in sincerity of prayer. How did Daniel say, fine, throw me in the lion's den if you want. I don't really care. How does he get to the place to say, it doesn't really matter what the risk is, I'm willing to go. I'm not going to argue with God one step further. How does someone like David, a shepherd boy, go onto a battlefield with no weaponry, with no armor, and just have a slingshot and look down the Goliath that he was facing and say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of the... How does someone like David do that? How do the three Hebrew children look at a fiery furnace and say, turn it up if you want to. God will rescue us. But if not, we will not bow. How does that happen? It happens because of sincerity of prayer. Because when you meet with God, you get his stamp of approval and it gives you something on the inside where you know you have nothing to fear. 
Now notice this sincere prayer that Paul prays is not a corporate prayer. I believe in corporate prayer. We're inviting people into corporate prayer. I believe the best place for private prayer to be unleashed is in an environment of corporate prayer. Corporate prayer will give you the nudge that you need sometimes for your private prayer life. But notice that Paul singular is praying. So secret prayer is the test of sincere faith. How is your private prayer life? Because if God does a work in your heart, you'll see it show up in your personal, private, secret prayer life. All God wants you to be is wrapped up in that one word, prayer. So many things that God wants to call us to, so many things we're living beneath what God wants from us because our prayer life is lacking. You're only as mighty as your prayers. You're only as strong as your prayers. You're really only going to fulfill who God wants you to be if you understand the importance of sincere prayer. Don't get caught up on just natural successes. God shakes his head at those things. And what he wants to know, is there sincerity of prayer? Is there sincerity of prayer in that person? And God doesn't need you and I to have a lot to go off of. When you preach a sermon like this, is there even an ember in you? Is there even the slightest desire that God can breathe on? Because if you allow him to, he'll turn it into an inferno. Heard this story one time about a family who had just gotten a little cat, little, little kitten, little cute little kitten. And something spooked the cat, this little kitty and, and it ran up the tree and ran out on a limb lost its balance and so it's hanging there from its little paws it didn't have the strength to pull itself back up and the kids are watching and scared they run inside and they tell their dad dad the little kitty it ran up the tree it's on the limb it's barely hanging on by its little paws would you would you come and help us and the dad was a pastor believe it or not and so he goes outside and he has the exact answer he knows exactly what to do so he goes to the garage he grabs a rope he ties the rope around this little tree. It was a flimsy, you know, kind of tree. And he attaches the rope to his, the bumper of his car. And he tells his kids, he's like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start pulling the, this, the truck off and the rope's going to pull the tree down. And I'm going to keep pulling until the limb gets low enough and then just reach up and grab the cat when it gets low enough. And so he starts to pull off and the tree starts to bend. He pulls a little bit further, bends a little bit more. And right before the kids could go grab that little kitty, the rope broke. And answered the prayer of that pastor. No, just kidding. No, no. Two weeks later, he is asked to come over to a member of the church's house because they want to talk to him about this miracle that happened. <laughs> it's a couple blocks away, so he went for a walk and he walks in the house and he looks over there and there's this, this little kitty that they have in their house and the cat looks so familiar, he looks so familiar. And he says, hey, I feel like I've seen that cat before. And they said, that's exactly the miracle we want to talk to you about. Our daughter wanted a cat, was asking us, was bothering us, wouldn't leave us alone. We were outside in the backyard in the garden and she's begging me for a cat. And I finally told her, if you'll get on your knees and pray and God will let a cat fall out of heaven, fine, you can have a cat. But if not, I don't want to hear anything about it. 
So prayer is an argument sometimes. And then number three, there's an application. Paul's prayer gives us some really solid stuff about prayer. Heaven notices, it doesn't matter where you pray. It doesn't matter who you think that you are or are not when you pray. Sometimes prayer isn't pretty. Sometimes prayer isn't perfect. Sometimes prayer isn't nice and neat and packaged exactly in what we would define as something incredibly spiritual. And if you think that God wants that, you should just read the Psalms at some point and read all the places the psalmists are many times just in conflict with God. The psalmist would say things like, God, I don't understand what you're up to. Break the teeth of my enemy. How many of y'all have ever asked God to do that in prayer? Lord, would you just break their teeth, please? (laughs) Amen. Then go to work. I would never. Well, we appreciate you. But for the rest of us, sometimes we don't pray because we think it has to be a particular way. But sincere prayer sometimes is a little bit of an argument. But this is the thing about prayer. It's as easy as breathing. And it's as dangerous to not do as not breathing. So I want to invite you to fill your lungs up with the oxygen of prayer today. Just to inhale and exhale. That's all it is. I'm inhaling His grace. I'm exhaling where I've missed it. I'm inhaling His spirit. I'm exhaling self. I'm inhaling His compassion and His mercy and I'm exhaling regret and shame. I'm inhaling His courage and I'm exhaling fear and worry. I'm inhaling who He is and I'm saying, God, I want you to go ahead and remove anything from my life that would stand in between me and what you're calling me to do. Whatever it is, God, I want to inhale what it is that you want from me and exhale anything that's not of you. Remember when Jesus went to the temple? You remember the story and he starts to throw the tables up, turns the tables over and he's got that whip and he's running the people out of the temple and he says, you've turned my house into a den of thieves is what he said. He said, but my house should be a house of prayer. Notice his indictment of what was stolen. What was stolen was prayer. What the people of God were robbed of was the priority of prayer. And when Jesus came and turned over every table and ran everybody out, he was running out anything that would rob the house of God and the people of God from the priority of prayer. When was the last time you invited that Jesus into your life? The Jesus that would whip you into shape if he needed to. The Jesus that would turn over some tables if he needed to. But that he would run out anything in your life that would rob you of prayer. That he would run out any thief, you know, the thief of worry or busyness or complacency or sin or wrong priorities. That he would just come in and just do, God, do whatever you got to do but reestablish prayer as a priority in my life.
The application is simple. You just breathe in who he is, invite him in, and then ask him to remove the things that are not his will of your life, in your life. You just put it all in his hands. I don't know what to do with this marriage, but I put it in your hands. I inhale what you want and I go ahead and I exhale. I I don't know what you want from this relationship. I don't know what you want from this job. I don't know what you want, but I'm just gonna go ahead and inhale who you are and let go of the rest and trust you that in sincerity of prayer, you've got me covered. You've got me covered. How many people have lost prayer as a priority in their life when it really is the thing that marks God's people? It really is the thing that should mark you in your walk with God. The Japanese have this fish, it's called the koi fish. And if you put the koi fish in a a fish bowl, it grows up to four inches. If you take it and you put it in an aquarium, it doubles in size. If you put it in a pond, it doubles from there. If you put it in a lake, it can grow up to 42 inches. But it never realizes who it is. It has enormous potential, but as long as it stays in a small environment. And sometimes that's what we do. We just stay in these little small environments. The importance of saying, God, place me in a environment of faith. Put me in an an environment of possibility. Put me in an environment of prayer where I can exhale my doubts and hesitations and exhale my insecurities and my inadequacies. And I can breathe in your confidence and I can breathe in, God, that I know if you're with me and you're for me, I don't have anything to fear that I'm up against. That's all for this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, there are just a couple next steps we'd love to highlight. First, you can subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with brand new episodes every single week. You can even share this with a friend by clicking that share button you see right there on your screen. We'd also love to hear from you. So if you have a comment, you can visit us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Seven Hills Church. Lastly, we want to say thank you to those who give generously to this ministry. You're helping us impact thousands. You can click on the link in the episode's description to give now or visit us at sevenhillschurch.tv backslash give. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you next time.